Good evening and welcome to Milkshake Monday, episode 225, The Trust Our Lies Tell. Truth up. Now, before I start tonight's episode, I wanted to share, it was just one week ago that after finishing Milkshake Monday, my youngest came to me and told me about the tragedy on the field with uh, DeMar Hamlin and uh, we went to praying and asking God for him to have his will be done in this young man's life. And it was so encouraging to me to know that this man knows the Lord and is trusting his Lord, his mom and dad and his family, and that the country and the world united in prayer just for this young man having such a situation happen with his heart in the cardiac arrest. And it was just a testimony of how God can use anybody at any time to have us all go to bended knees in one accord and how he can show himself mightily. And I just wanted to praise God for the continued recovery, recovery of this man and for the brotherhood that I did not realize the saved souls that are around the industry of the NFL, as well as the commentators and the fans and all the people. That was just wonderful to see all of us mobilize in prayer to the Lord, which tells so much of what we can do when we actually do that. That being said, how did I come up with this title? It's a very unique title and it takes a moment to grasp what I'm saying. How do you say trust and lie in the same sentence? But that's the reality. Who are we trusting? What are we trusting? And who are we not trusting when it comes to when we start to speak lives? And I know some of you who may be really self-righteous and sanctimonious and oh, holier than thou may say, oh, I don't lie. I'm going to give you the insight for how this teaching came about. And every week from the time I finish Milkshake Monday on Monday and go into the following week, I have my ears and heart open to the Lord. I was driving and the song by CeCe Winans came. It's an old hymn called I Surrender All. And I'm in this time where it's quiet and I'm singing and I'm singing the songs. I'm familiar with this hymn. And then I cut off the music and I started to think about this song and I said, Lord, here I am as, as in all the people that sing this song, I surrender all. And I was like, how, how do you even feel and react to this? Because we say we surrender all. I'm not even surrendering going the speed limit. I'm not even surrendering in what I'm eating. I'm not even surrendering of all these various things in my life, what comes out of my mouth, what I see, where I go, what I do. But yet I sing this song as unto the Lord saying, I surrender all, all to Jesus. I surrender, I surrender all. And I'm not the only one singing this hymn and have sung this hymn. And even Cece and all of us who sing this hymn, I said, God, how is it that you hear us do and say these things to you, but then our behaviors and what we do and how we trust is so foreign from these songs that we sing. And so I started to think of this teaching and I sent myself a note to myself on my mobile text to remind myself about this. And as I kept thinking about truth and lies, I got more and more insight to the point I really could do a two hour session. This thing was so interesting, but I wanted to start off by sharing how God cannot lie. So go to numbers chapter 23, verse 19. I'm going to read it a couple different versions of the Bible so you can hear it. So the NIV says, 
God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Let's go to the New King James Version of that same scripture. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Now, that being said about God, what's the opposite? The evil one, Satan, the devil, Lucifer, who's fallen to be Satan and the devil. In John 8, verse 44, he's the opposite of truth. He lies all the time. He's the father of lies. And look what it says about Satan. I'm going to read it out of the NIV and then the New King James. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The New King James Version. You are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Now go to Revelations chapter 20 verses 1 through 3, because I want you to see that's in the New Testament, but the end of the chapter of the last chapter of the New Testament talks about when Satan is held for that a thousand years, why Christ reigns on the earth, that there is not going to be the level of deception because he's not here. And look what it says, Revelations 20 verses one through three. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and he cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal on him, so that he should not deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. He is the author of lies. And him going to the bottomless pit just for those thousands of years, that thousand years, so he should not deceive the nations. It's not just a United States of America thing. It's all around the continent. His lies are pervasive. Now, I thought it would be easier to make this point by showing you examples in the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament, because some of you will hear this and you think, oh, that's not me. I don't tell lies. I'm a Christian. I don't lie. That's not in my character. There is none righteous. No, not one. God is the only holy one that there is. And I'm going to show you that Abram, Abraham, his name changes, that there are some behaviors in Abraham that we kind of just gloss over. But I want to take us through Genesis 12 
through 21 very quickly because I want you to see something about how the trust our lies tell expose some things about who we are. And Abraham, who is going to have the son of promise, who God's going to talk to and tell him about the nations and his descendants and give a covenant with Abraham. This person who God entrusted, who said, called him a prophet, had him pray for some of the very people that he lied to. But I want you to see what is going on about Abram and Abraham, same person, but a change of name. They had a trust problem. And you may not believe it, but by the time we finish this teaching, I hope you understand that it's not just Abraham. That some of us, when we're overwhelmed and we are going through some things and God is taking his time and we have to wait on him, there's some things that come out of our mouth. There's some things that we do. Self-preservation, taking our hand and putting it on things that only God can do because we don't have a trust in him. And the lies we tell expose the lack of trust and doubt and unbelief we have on the Holy God. Now we're going to start with Genesis 12 verses one through three, because I think it's important for me to say a setup. I wasn't going to add this and I knew for time I wasn't going to be careful. So Genesis 12 verses one through three says, now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. Here's his words. I will bless you. Read it again. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. He said, I'm going to bless you and he's going to be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's I'm going to bless you. You're going to be a blessing and all your families on the earth will be a blessing. So God giving you that at the start of the story of your journey. You're leaving your family and your country. But if God starts with that, how do you get to a place as you will see that any, anytime he finds himself going into a new territory, he gets this thing about fear and unbelief and distrust to the point that he's trusting in his lies to protect his life rather than trusting that the God has sent him out on his journey, who said, I'm going to bless you. He didn't say, I'm going to let you get to this place and I'm going to let them kill you. Did y'all get the feeling that God was going to leave him to be killed? But here we have Abram going from Genesis 12, where he's sent out to not, but a few scriptures later, we have the first lie in Genesis 12 verses nine through 20. Let's start at verse nine. Then Abram set out and continued toward Negev. Now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he wasn't even there, but he's already contemplating what is he going to encounter in Egypt? And that's where he starts to think, 
I'm not quite sure I'm safe. I'm not sure that in the midst of this famine that I'm traveling there to get some food, that I'm safe and sound. And I got this good looking, beautiful countenance wife. They're going to like her. They're going to kill me. I know what God said, but I'm not only going to lie. I'm going to ask my wife to lie. Yeah, it's a half truth, but a half truth is a half lie. And a half lie is a lie. It says here, as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. They'll recognize it's the truth, but that ain't going to work for me. Then they will kill me. Now, why do you think he thinks after God made a promise and a blessing and a, a thing to tell him about a blessing that God's lying to him? God's not big enough. God don't have enough authority and power and understanding that he's going to let this man kill him. But that's the trust that Abram has at this point, because this lie that he's not going to just say, but his wife's going to say half truth is a lie. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. Be careful that you don't start telling lies to protect your life, to preserve what you think is important in your life because you really don't trust God. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was very beautiful, a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh and was taken and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle and male and female donkeys, male and female servants and camels. But the Lord. But the Lord. The Lord that he didn't have enough trust and faith. The Lord that just promised at the beginning of Genesis 12, but the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. Before I get to this, what have you done? He talks about descendants. At the beginning of the journey, the Lord seeing the future to say, Abram, I'm going to impregnate your wife to have a baby so you can have descendants. His little scheme, his lie would have allowed her to be taken by the Pharaoh in Egypt and her to be polluted and have sex. Him, the Pharaoh having sex with his wife. So how did you think that was going to be the son of promise and God was going to be pleased and had wanted to orchestrate having another man have sex with Abram's wife? And the son of promise coming out of her body. What was he thinking? He wasn't thinking. He was distrusting. What that lie told us, he had a distrust. He had a doubt problem. He had an unbelief problem like we all do when we lie. Here, so Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He, what have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Yeah, Abram, why didn't you tell 
him the truth. Why did you say she's my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Now, Abram had this opportunity to see the Lord show up. He didn't ask God, intervene, protect us. He did his lie, let his wife be taken for some time because he inquired, he acquired all these sheep and cattle and servants. That took some time that he got her and he got some things. But from Genesis 12, which you just see this first lie that we see, then you see the 13 were lot, lot separated. Then you see chapter 14 where Lot separates to go to Sodom and Gomorrah. And then there's a situation where there's wars and one of the Kings takes all the goods and, and things from Sodom and they take Lot and Lot's things. And you find that Abram has to go to war. He chooses to go to war. That's 14. 15, you start to see some things unfolding in chapter 15. And the reality is God puts Abram in a deep sleep and he still gives him the promise and understanding of his future. I say these chapters because when you get to chapter 20 and the second lie happens, you have to understand that in between the first lie and the second lie, God has shown himself powerfully. In 15, he has this conversation, puts him in deep sleep and gives him the covenant. Then you have 16 where again, Sarai is thinking she got to put her hand on some things because she's not trusting. She's going to give Abram the Hagar and they're going to have sex and pregnancies and she's going to get upset and all that stuff. But then we're going to have a situation that you get to Genesis 17. And the reason why I keep telling you this is because things are happening. And even in 17 chapter 17, verse 17, it says here where I would hope that he would get an understanding. It says, then God said to Abram, as for Sarai, your wife name has not changed. You shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name and I will bless her. And I also will give you a son by her. Not because y'all got it twisted last time and you got your hands in it and y'all got another woman involved. So I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give her a child so that there's no confusion here. You give you a son by her, then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations king of people shall be from her. Now, everybody talks about Sarah laughing in Genesis 18, but I want you to see that it was Abram that laughed first. Abraham laughed first. That in this scripture of Genesis, I started with Genesis 15, but I'm now I'm at 17. Then Abraham fell on his face He's got a new name. His wife has a new name, but he fell on his face and laughed. Why does she laugh? Because her husband laughed first. And the reason why you see him going from these different situations where God is promising, God is delivering, God is having conversations with him. God is burning up Sodom and Gomorrah, but God is saving his, his nephew Lot. He has still got laughter, unbelief, doubt, distrust, 
by the time he gets over to Genesis 20 to say the second lie about Sarah, it's just like us. Self-preservation, doubt, unbelief hits us and the trust that our lies tell is exposing that we really don't believe God. We're laughing. Abraham laughed. It's documented. The Holy Spirit put it in Genesis 17, 17, that he fell down. Y'all know falling down laughing. Y'all know falling down laughing. They said he fell on his face and he laughed and said in his heart, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Yeah. He didn't believe it. So you get to this place in 18 and then you get 19 with the whole Sodom and Gomorrah story. And then you get to 20, chapter 20. We're going to start chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Now, Abraham moved on from there. All this stuff that was happening, the travels into the region of Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while, he stayed in Gerar. And there Abraham said of his wife, Sarah, she's my sister. She is his half sister, but she's his wife. She is the woman that God just said in Genesis 17, she is going to be the mother of nations. She is going to bear you a son. Do you think it makes sense that God would tell you that and say, oh, by the way, last or some other man, king or not, can lay with your wife, have sex with her at will, take her as a wife or a concubine, sex her up. Do you think that was God's intention? Knowing what has happened from Genesis 12 all the way now that we're in 20. What's happening with his trust? What's happening with his belief and his understanding of what God has planned for his life? He just said it in Genesis 15. He's reiterating it in Genesis 17. Same thing with us. God says, wait on me. God says, trust me. God says, bring ye the tithes and offerings so they'll be meeting my health and pour, prove me now that I will not pour you out a blessing. Oh no, I got to wait. I got things to take care of. I can't trust God. I'm a lie. I'm going to give that $20 bill knowing that my true tithes and offerings should be about 200, but I got to keep back the trust our lies tell. Here he goes. Then it, Abelech, the king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. But God, but God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, you are as good as dead. I love the word of God because it's plain. People say, I can't understand. It's too many big words. It's too much. Uh, all this stuff about the uh, genealogy. I can't understand. You are as good as dead. Quentin Tarantino could have put that in there. You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Is that clear, saints? Is that clear? Now, Abimelech had not gone near her. He hadn't had any sex with her. So he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? He didn't even say, will you destroy me? He said, my nation, because he's seen what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. We're in, we're in chapter 20. Sodom and Gomorrah is chapter 19. You don't believe that they knew what was happening in Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding territories that God saw the evil and they burned it up. Crispy cream burnt up. 
And this king is saying, uh, you're going to blow me up. You Because he's already said, you, you as good as dead. He goes back to the lie. He repeats what the man said. The lie Abraham said to him. Did he not say to me? She's my sister. And Sarah lied too because he said the same pattern. Tell him you're my sister. And did she and didn't she also say he's my brother? Lie, lie. The trust our lies tell. Both of them lied. Both of them are going to have the son of promise. Doesn't mean that we can't lie. Doesn't mean that preachers can't lie if they get in the fix. Doesn't mean the saints can't lie if they get in the fix. I'm just telling you, it exposes our lies. I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, this yes is powerful because this yes is saying, I know both of them lied. I know that you didn't know any better, but I'm telling you, I'm going to kill you. I want her out of your house. I want this situation resolved because the man of promise that's going to have the son of promise. He didn't trust me, but I'm going to show him again how I'm coming and intervening from Genesis 12. He intervened. And then now in Genesis 20, he's intervening. Yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience. And so I've kept you from sinning against me. He didn't say sinning against them. He didn't say sinning against her. He didn't say sinning against Abraham. He said sinning against me because it's his promise. It's his plan. It's his divine plan. The son of promise. Abraham's doubt, unbelief, distrust is trying to change and interrupt the plans of God. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife for he is a prophet. This is the first I'd heard God reference Abraham as a prophet. And in addition to him calling him a prophet, he asked the man that lied to the king, got him in this fix to pray to him. He says to the king, I want you to have him pray for you to me. The man that lied. It says, now return the man's wife for he's a prophet and he will pray for you and you will live. God was not going to allow the man to live unless the liar prayed for him to live and prayed to God. And the first thing he better start praying is say, God, forgive me. And then forgive him because he knew that that man didn't do nothing and that Abraham put him in that fix. But he needed to have a prayer with God to repent. Now you go on to read that. I can't read the whole thing cause I'm running out of time, but I want you to see when the King asked him, why'd you do this? What was, what was it? What made you do this? What offense did I do to you? He comes back and says, basically I was afraid for my life. I was trying to protect a life. I knew y'all probably would keep Sarah alive, but I was protecting my life. Self-preservation. And that's what distrust does. When you start to think of yourself, that's why God says we must deny ourself and follow him because our self wants to protect our posterior at all costs. And Abraham was no different. He was trying to protect his posterior. And that lie 
wasn't a half lie. It was a lie. She was his wife. They were kicking boots for all those years and she wasn't just his sister, half or not. Now, y'all finish reading Genesis 20 verses 118 because I want to move on to something else. I want you all to see Genesis 21. Genesis 21, after Abraham has doubted, Sarah has doubted, they have distrusted, they have not believed that God is going to make his 100-year-old body and her 97-year-old body get so fertile, be so ready, they don't need a Viagra, they don't need Cialis, they don't need all the, the different Skittles. Abraham's loins are powerful, but he can't believe that God is really going to do this thing. He saw it happen in Hagar, that young thing, but that old wife, beautiful as she was, he just couldn't see it. But God had told him in Genesis 17 and 15 and 12 about the descendants. But look at 21. Here's where it actually happens. And think about it. If she had been polluted in 20 or in 12, God was just trying to get them to some faith. And maybe that prayer that God made Abraham pray for Abimelech, got him to a posture to say, God, I've seen you deliver me twice. I've seen you clean up my mess twice. So Genesis 21 starts in verse one, and we'll start one through two. As the Lord visited Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken, for Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. God said it. He wanted him to wait. He didn't think he needed to wait. He was going to lie. He was going to do all kinds of things. Sarah was going to put her hands on it. No, what God promises is true. He is not a man that he should lie. He does not change his mind with the plans that he has set forth. Now we're going to go to another example. That's the Old Testament. We're going to go into the New Testament and we're going to go to a disciple that I love to teach about. And that's Peter. Peter lied and we say he denied Christ and we make it clean and say, oh, he had three denials. He lied. He lied and God knew he was going to lie because when he told Christ that I'm not going to run away like the others I'm going to be with you. I'm going to have your back. That's what he was telling. Peter was telling Christ and Christ was saying, nah, bro, that's not how it's going to happen. He says you before the cock crows three times, you're going to deny me. So Christ knew the lies because he said the trust that our lies tell. He already knew Peter was going to lie to save himself. The cock, that animal that Christ created, the John 1, 1, was going to crow at the appointed time after the three lies of the denial, because the three lies was him protecting himself. Do y'all see a theme going on here? You can lie for your own protection. You can lie because you've reasoned in your mind that God can't protect you. And now they got Christ. Take it in from judgment hall to judgment hall. That's the person who they've seen. They've been following. He's been doing miracles. He's been teaching. He's been going to father. Peter saw him turn himself inside and out. The Mount Transfiguration. He's seen some powerful things, but not enough to think he's going to take care of me. I think I'm going to get burned up. I think I'm going to be hung up. I just can't trust it. So 
Verse 15 of John 8, Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because the disciples were known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest. That's the one John. But Peter, but Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back and spoke to the sergeant servant girl on the duty there and brought Peter in. So Peter gets to go into the inner gate. First, he didn't have access, but because of John's relationship, he got access. Verse 17, you aren't one of the, this man's disciples too, are you? It's a question. It's a question. She asked Peter. He replied, I'm not. Lie. The trust our lies tell. She's, she's let, the servant girl has let him in. The disciple just asks for her to let him in. And she's asking, what's your connection? Sometimes people are asking you, what's your connection to that church? What's, that, you know, what's your connection to that pastor? What's your connection to that holy roller? What's your connection to that girl that always talking about Jesus? Oh, uh, I, I, I went to school with her. I, I know a little bit of her. I know. I, 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 I. Lie, because you don't want to have to expose your relationship that you know somebody loves Jesus. And people calling them fanatics and people calling them holy rollers and people calling them all that stuff. And you're like... Uh, I kind of know him. I don't know him that much. Verse 18, it was cold and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. It's cold. It said it's cold. Meteorologists have said it's cold. They're cold. They're warming themselves. He's already lied once, but he's in the inner circle. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And Christ goes on to talk about he's spoken openly. Let's go to the second denial of Christ. He's warming. I mean, second denial of Peter about Christ. He's warming himself around the fire. Now, verse 25 says, meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. We saw where he was. He's still there. Everybody warming. You know how to get to talking, getting looking around, see who's who, who's around the fire get some chit chat, know what's going on. They know what's going on, on the inside with Jesus and all that stuff, but they out there in the cold because they're not in the, in the circle to be there. So they ask him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied saying, I'm not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man who's Peter, whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? I saw you cut my cousin's ear off, man. Don't be telling me. Don't be lying to me because I saw you cut my cousin's ear off. Jesus had to put it back on to heal it. But I saw you cut my cousin, my bro man's ear off. He challenged him. What you saying? You don't. What? What you saying? He, he's not. You're not part of his crew. I saw you in the garden cutting my bro's ear off ear off. Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. The trust our lies tell. We got to be truthful. True up now. Truth up. Now this last one. Now, if you know anything, you go to John at the end of John and Peter is asked by Christ, do you love me? Do you love me? And you got to read all that. 
Abraham, God did not punish for the lying twice. Peter denied three times. So we have two times for Abraham, three times for Peter. Christ already forecasted and foretold the three denials and the cock crowing. But Peter was restored. The last example that we're going to finish with is Ananias and Sapphira. What's different about their lies that they went, they went dead, dead, dead. Husband and wife, dead, dead, dead. It was a husband and wife in Genesis. They're not dead, dead, dead. What's different about the lie of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5 that's not with Peter three times denying Christ, with Abraham and Sarah both lying two times, and they were in a position of having the son of promise. So what's so different? Let's go there. Acts 5, let's start at verse 1. Starting to set the stage, the congregation in Acts, the children of the way, are meeting the needs of the congregation by giving what they have, laying it at the disciples' feet. People are doing it outwardly, openly, so people are getting to see in the congregation who's giving and all this stuff. So you got these people that are well off, Ananias and Sapphira. They're well off enough that they have lands to sell. They have lands, and one of the pieces of land they are going to sell. But they decide amongst themselves, husband and wife, they, it was their land. Nobody said they had to give it. They decided they're going to give it, but they didn't want to give all the money. Now, you don't have to give all your money, but you don't go to God and lie about it. And you say, well, where did they lie to God? They went to Peter and Peter asked. Now, Peter, the same Peter that lied three times, he knows about people lying. But here's a difference in what they lied. They were lying to the Holy Ghost because God knew. God didn't tell them they had to give the money, but they were pretending to be Christians in the congregation, pretending to give something as unto the Lord to help others and lying at the point. What were they trusting in? They were trusting that they would not be found out. They were trusting in themselves. They were trusting in their money, that they loved their money greater than loving, giving to God. And in this thought, they could get away with it, that God is so stupid that the Holy Spirit is not all knowing. God is not all knowing that they could do this thing and get away with it. And that's the thing that you don't know. The trust that you have, you have to be careful that you're not trusting that you're God and that you're smarter than God and that you really have no interest in being truthful with the things of God. We don't know at what time God will make a decision and say, oh no, you crossed the line. You lied to the Holy Spirit. And those of you, and, I, and I don't, I'm not a person that talks a lot about money or giving, but I think that you need to be serious when it comes to the self-reflection on communion and ask God to forgive your sins every day. But especially when God says at that time, before you take the body and bread, the, the body and blood of Christ symbolically in the Holy Communion and in the remembrance of Christ who says, I'm willing to forgive you everything, but you're holding back the secret sins. You're not asking for repentance. You don't want those books to be opened up and find out that you could have asked God for forgiveness. But in this case, these people were thinking they were smarter. And I got to go on because I'm running late. Now, a man named Ananias together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Half-truths don't work even here. It's not a half-truth. It's all a lie. It's all a lie to the Holy Spirit. Then Peter said, Ananias, 
How is it that Satan has so filled your heart? Who's the father of lies? John 8, 4, 4 has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? You could have said, I'm going to give the church 50%. I'm keeping the other 50%. Would have been fine. But to say this is all of it, no, it's 50% and you're keeping some. All of it that you have, everything that we have is of the Lord. It's of his free gift to give and, and, and for us to cherish and be grateful. Understand that everything we have is because of his good gifts to us. What made you think of doing such a thing? The father of lies. You have not lied to just to a human being, but to God. You didn't just lie to me, Peter. I'm a man, but you lied to God. You gave as unto the Lord and you gave God a lie and lied and you conspired. It was premeditated, first degree premeditated lying. It wasn't just, oh, came up, came upon you because you just, no, you premeditated. You lied in your heart. You planned it from the jump. You planned this lie because you love the land and the money and the proceeds more than you love the honesty and integrity of your relationship with God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died and great fear seized all who heard who had, what had happened. Then some young men came forward and wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. And about three hours later, his wife came in and not knowing what had happened, where's my husband? He should have been lied and come on back. Got out of credit from the congregation. Get everybody, we can tell them, hey, we done contributed. We done sold land and gave the money for the poor. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said. That is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire you two together conspired to test the spirit of the Lord. Listen, listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband without you even being there. He's dead and gone. You ain't got no repast. You ain't got no mourners. Your husband's dead. We didn't even tell you. The feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. No invitation to the memorial service, no invitation to the funeral. You did, buried, done, gone. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young man came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. My last scripture tonight is Exodus 20. Exodus 20 are the law that none of us could fulfill. We couldn't do the Ten Commandments because we are not holy. None of us are holy. But I want to remind you when it comes to the trust that our lies tell, that in Exodus 20 and that verse 16, it says, don't bear false witness against your neighbor. And some of us don't understand that lying to others, ourselves included, we have the greatest relationship with ourselves and we lie to ourselves. We lie to ourselves in singing songs like I surrender all. Really? That's why I say, God, why don't you just tell us to stop singing some of them songs? Cause you know, we lie, we lie. 
but it says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And that's well after he says, I am the Lord in verse two, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. And that includes ourself. That includes our money. That includes our children. That includes our vehicles and our houses and our animals and all the stuff that we try to hold on tight to. And we trust in those things. And God says, you shall have no other gods before me. He expects us to trust and obey him. He expects us to have a belief, a belief of faith in him. To the point that when we start to feel as though we're overwhelmed with life and we want to trust ourselves and our schemes and our plans, and we want to lie. You're not lying to me. You're not lying to people. You're not lying to humans, but you are lying to God and God has mercy and grace. And you know that because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all of us have sung, I surrender all. And all of us have sung a lot of hymns and all of us have said, oh God, we're going to do a new thing. We're going to be this. We're going to be serious in 2023 more than we've ever been. We're going to really get it right. We're really going to do some things. God knows the beginning the middle and the end. He knows what's already in the books. He knows everything about us, even the things that we're lying to ourselves and to others about. Now it's our opportunity to go before him and repent and ask God to forgive us, ask God to cleanse us, ask God to renew like that Psalm 51, renew a right spirit in me, God, forgive me, God, for trusting in myself, for distrusting you for trusting myself in the lies that I tell. We don't want to be like Ananias and Sapphira. We don't even want to be denying like Peter or lying like Abraham, but God can restore and he can forgive us of our sins that we've committed and committed against him alone. It is my prayer that something tonight has encouraged you to go in and introspect on some things that are going on in your life. It's not me to judge. I'm not judging. I'm putting this arrow right back at myself. It started with me saying I was wrong to be singing. I surrender all when I haven't surrendered all. I haven't the beautiful song, but Anita has not surrendered all. God knows it. And I ask his forgiveness, but I'm being honest and truthful about the matter. And I think the more honesty that all of us as Christian believers become in our day-to-day relationships, we'll be able to minister to the people that need to know Christ, that we are not all that in a bag of chips. And the word of God teaches us that the harvest is plenteous and the labors are few. We pray God of the Lord of the harvest to send out more labors. I love you and Lord willing, I'll see you next Monday. God bless.